This is Radio Maria, and now it's time for Credo. On this program, we like to share a bit about the creed, what we believe in, and how we practice that. And one of those ways is through prayer. Today we have Sister Magdalene. Oh, is it Eitan Miller? Is that correct? Eitan Miller, yes. 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 <laughs> she is joining us in Cambridge and she is uh, studying, uh, very much so, Thomas St. Thomas Aquinas. And she has... Uh, it was a year and a half ago, did a program for Radio Maria all about St. Thomas Aquinas. And we thought, oh... Let's get some more of that good, good information and sharing that she has and bring her on for Credo. So, Sister Magdalene, I'm going to let you speak straight to the listeners and I'm going to sit in the back and listen and take notes as well. The, <laughs> the microphone's all yours, my dear. Oh, thank you very much, Helena. Um, yes, yeah, so I'll just talk a little bit about uh, St. Thomas um, and in his prayer and what he has to tell us about that. So St. Thomas Aquinas uh, was a, actually what they considered a master of the sacred page that is a scripture scholar. And he was a man of deep prayer, a real contemplative, and I would venture to say even a mystic. And you may have heard the story of when towards the end of his life, Aquinas was deeply in prayer, and our Lord appeared to him, saying, You have written well of me, Thomas. What will you have as your reward? To which St. Thomas answered, Nil nisi te, Domine, nil nisi te. Nothing but you, Lord, nothing but you. And God really was the focus of his life, and should be the focus or end goal or destination of ours as well. So before I speak specifically about prayer, I would like to contextualize it a bit. St. Thomas himself begins the second part of his most famous work, the Summa Theologiae, with what is known as the Treatise on Happiness or the Treatise on Blessedness. And the purpose of this section of the Summa is the goal or destination toward which we are heading, which is union with God and to show that only God can completely satisfy the innate desire that all people naturally have for happiness. We all naturally want to be happy, but as Aquinas shows, nothing finite, no creature, can fully satisfy this desire, because ultimately it can only be completely satisfied by what is lasting, perfect, and supreme happiness itself. That is, only God can satisfy this desire for happiness or blessedness. So my ultimate end or destination is God himself. But of course, knowing the end or destination of my journey is not enough. It is just the beginning, an important beginning, but much more needs to be done to get me to that destination to which I wish to go. Say I desire to go to London. I know that I need to go there, but then I have to decide what means will get me there. I could take a train, a bus, drive a car, or walk. Some means will get me there faster than others, or maybe easier on me than others. Walking in the cold would take me a long time and be a lot harder on me, and perhaps more dangerous than taking a train. I also have to decide not only on the means in general, but also in particular. I have to make sure, for example, that I am taking a route that will actually get me to London and not get on a train headed to Glasgow, for instance, which would be going in the opposite direction from which I wish to go. In the same way, in the spiritual life, I need to consider where I am heading and how to get there. My goal is union with God, blessedness, or beatitude with him for all eternity. And that beatitude begins here on earth, insofar as I am united to him in charity here and now. So what means can I take to help me in my journey? First, of course, I need God's grace to help me bring me there. I cannot get to heaven on my own natural strength. I am not strong enough. I can only get there with God's grace. 
However, God works in me not only what St. Thomas calls operative grace, a grace in which God operates or works in me directly, such as the grace of baptism with that justifies me, making me just, wiping away my sin, and restoring me to friendship with God. But God also gives me cooperative grace, in which I need to cooperate, receiving God's grace and allowing Him to work in me and through me. Now, some very important means in which God works in me, transforming me by the power of His grace, are the virtues. In fact, with sanctifying grace, I receive the infused theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, which have God as their direct object, that towards which they tend. In fact, St. Thomas defines charity as friendship with God and with others in God. So charity truly unites me to God, both in this life and then in a more perfect, complete way in the next life. So faith, hope, and charity are absolutely necessary for me to practice in my journey, because without them, I am not even headed in the right direction. I must believe God, hope in God, and love God and others for His sake. And with grace, we also receive the infused cardinal virtues, which are prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And like the theological virtues, these are received in a, in a kind of seed form that should grow as I begin to exercise these virtues. So these four, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, are called cardinal or hinge virtues because they are key virtues to the moral life, under which all the other intellectual and moral virtues can be placed, like headings under which one places the subheadings. And for our journey into God, these infused moral virtues are like our provisions along the way. As we grow in these virtues, as well as the theological ones, we become stronger in the spiritual life and able to travel with greater joy, spontaneity, and ease, like the person sitting in the express train to London and enjoying the scenery along the way. Now, the cardinal virtue that we are speaking about here is the virtue of justice. What does the virtue of justice have to do with our topic of prayer? Well, when Aquinas speaks of prayer in the Summa Theologiae, he states that it is an act of the virtue of religion, and religion is a virtue that he categorizes under the cardinal virtue of justice. So let's talk first about what is justice. Aquinas explains that the virtue of justice is about rendering to another what is his or her due, that is, giving to the other what I owe them. And in justice, we owe God worship as His due, as He is our Creator and Lord. So religion is actually about giving God the worship that is due to Him. So the virtue of religion is a virtue that should be practiced not only by so-called official religious, but by everyone, although in different ways. Since all people are called to holiness, Part of that universal call to holiness involves giving God the worship that is due to Him as God. The first commandment given to Moses is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, we must love God above all things. So in justice, we owe God worship as our Creator and Savior. And one principal way of worshiping God is by prayer. In fact, prayer, according to Aquinas, is one of the interior acts of religion. There are two interior acts of religion. First, devotion. And second, prayer. And then there are also exterior acts of religion, which, of course, also involve the interior ones. And these exterior acts are adoration, sacrifice, such as, for example, the Mass, which is the highest form of prayer, oblations or offerings, tithes, vows, oaths, and divine praise. Now, tonight, 
I would like to speak first a little more about the virtue of religion, and then to discuss its two interior acts, prayer and devotion. According to Aquinas, all the acts of religion fall under the worship and service of God, because, he says, worship regards the excellence of God, to whom reverence is due, while service regards the subjection of the human being, who by his condition is under an obligation of showing reverence to God. These two, worship and service, belong to these two belong all the acts ascribed to religion, because by them all one bears witness to the divine excellence and to one's own subjection to God, either by offering something to God or by what he calls assuming something divine, that is, engaging in divine worship, such as in the Mass. Now, St. Thomas explains that by praying, the human person surrenders his mind to God. And again, he says that the human being shows reverence to God by means of prayer, insofar as he subjects himself to him. By praying, he confesses that he needs God as the author of all his goods. In prayer, then, we both show reverence to God that is due to him in justice, and we also show our own need for him. Aquinas says that according to Dionysius, who was an early Greek Christian writer, when we call upon God in our prayers, we unveil our mind in his presence. And, he says, St. John Damascene, another early Greek church father, says, Prayer is the raising up of the mind to God. The raising up of the mind to God. And Aquinas teaches that prayer is a matter of precept, that is, God commands us to pray. He explains that it is a matter of precept, not only that we should ask for what we desire, but also that we should desire rightly, that is, in accordance with God's will. And to desire comes under the precept of charity, whereas to ask comes under the precept of religion. And this precept, this command, is expressed by Christ in Matthew 7, 7, where he says, Ask and you shall receive. This commandment to pray, then, is for the good of our souls, for our salvation, because we cannot have a personal relationship with God if we never converse with Him, just as we cannot have a true friendship with someone that we never communicate with in some way. Now Aquinas asks whether or not it is fitting or appropriate for us to pray to God. Should we pray? Does it do any good to pray? And one objection that he provides states that prayer seems to be necessary in order that we may make our needs known to the person to whom we pray. But according to Matthew 6.32, your father knows that you have need of all these things. So it seems then that it is not fitting to pray to God, because if God already knows what, what we need, why pray? Aquinas himself then responds to this objection by explaining that we need to pray to God not in order to make known to Him our needs and desires as if He did not already know, but that we ourselves may be reminded of the necessity of having recourse to God's help in these matters. So prayer reminds us of our need for God, our dependence on God which Aquinas thinks is what is involved in the virtue of humility. Humility is recognizing our dependence on God for help and turning towards Him in trust. So it is for our own good that we pray. Now another objection put forward says, Well, by prayer we bend or change the mind of the person to whom we pray, so that he may do what is asked of him. But God's mind is unchangeable and inflexible, so it seems that it is not fitting to pray to God. Are we trying to change God's mind when we pray? Like children might try to change their parents' minds about something that they want? 
To this, St. Thomas replies, Our motive in praying, that is the reason why we pray, is not that we may change the divine disposition. We are not trying to change God's plan, but rather that by our prayers we may obtain what God himself has appointed. So we ask for what God himself already wills to give us. But if God wants to give us these things already, why does he want us to ask for them? What is he waiting for? And St. Thomas explains that God bestows many things on us out of his liberality, that is, pure generosity, even without our asking them for them. But that he wishes to bestow certain things on us at our asking is for the sake of our good. It is for our sakes, again, that he has, has us ask, namely, that we may acquire confidence in having recourse to God, and that we may recognize in him the author of our good. God is the source of every good. It is good for us to recognize this, to see God as goodness itself, so that we may grow in trust and confidence in him and in his loving providential care for us. He really loves us and wants to care for us. But St. Paul tells the people in his letter to, in the, uh, to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 26, that we do not know how to pray as we ought. And Aquinas explains that although one cannot by himself know what he ought to pray for, the Spirit, as St. Paul also says, helps us in our infirmity or weakness, since by inspiring us with holy desires, he makes us ask for what is right. Hence, our Lord said in John 4.24 that true adorers must adore in spirit and in truth. So it is a very good practice to ask the Holy Spirit to guide our prayer so that we pray in the way that God wants and for what he wants to give us. So let us take a moment now to reflect on this with some music.
And that was Andre Botticelli with Panis Angelicus. This is Radio Maria and this is Credo. And this evening we have Sister Magdalene Eitenmiller from the Sisters of Catherine of Siena, the Dominicans in Cambridge. And she's been sharing with us about prayer and St. Thomas Aquinas. Sister Magdalene, it is all yours. Thank you, Helena. Someone might ask, well, why don't we always get what we ask for in prayer? Why does God appear not to have heard our prayer? Now, the New Testament letter of St. James, chapter 4, tells the recipients of the letter that you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly so that you may use it for your own desires. And St. Thomas explains that although we can ask for particular things, we do need to be careful with regard to those things that may have, as he says, an evil result, which those things, that is, that one could use badly or well, just such as riches, by which, unfortunately, many have come to an evil end, he says, or honors, which have ruined many, power, of which we frequently witness the unhappy results, or even splendid marriages, which sometimes bring about the total wreck of a family. Nevertheless, there are certain goods that a human being cannot use badly, because they cannot have an evil result. Such are those that are the object of beatitude or blessedness in heaven, or those and those things by which we merit it. And these the saints seek absolutely when they pray, as in Psalm 79, show us thy face and we shall be saved. And in Psalm 118, lead me into the path of thy commandments. So, We cannot always be certain that temporal goods that we may ask for will in fact be good for us in the sense of leading us to God, and for this reason they may not always be God's will for us, since what He wills is always our ultimate good, which is our salvation. But we can be sure, says St. Thomas, that when in our prayers we ask for things concerning our salvation— Then we conform our will to God's, of whom it is written that he wills all men be saved. So the prayer that is always answered is the prayer for God's grace and guidance along our journey as wayfarers or pilgrims in this life. In other words, God wants to have a personal relationship with us. So when we pray, We ought not to think of God as simply a thing or an idea out there, but rather think of him as a person, three divine persons, who are the one God who loves us. Now Aquinas has quite a number of homilies on major prayers such as the Creed, the Our Father, and the first part of the Hail Mary. I would like to just go over a bit of what he says on the Lord's Prayer and then we will talk more about devotion in prayer. St. Thomas explains the Lord's Prayer as follows. He says the Lord's Prayer is most perfect because, as Augustine says, if we pray rightly and fittingly, we can say nothing else but what is contained in this prayer of our Lord. For since prayer interprets our desires, he says prayer is the interpreter of desire because it reflects in a way the deepest desires of our heart. So since prayer interprets our desires before God, then alone it is right to ask for something in our prayers when it is right that we should desire it. In the Lord's Prayer, not only do we ask for all that we may rightly desire, but even in the order in which we ought to desire them. So this prayer not only teaches us to ask, but it also directs all our affections. Thus it is evident, he says, that the first thing to be the object of our desire is the end or goal, and then afterwards whatever is directed to the end or the means. Now our end, as we've seen, is God, towards whom our affections tend, he says, in two ways. First, by our willing the glory of God. Second, 
by willing that we too should enjoy His glory. So the first thing, willing the glory of God, belongs to the love by which we love God in Himself. While the second, willing that we too should share in His glory, belongs to the love by which we love ourselves in God. So our first petition, then, in the Our Father is, Hallowed be thy name. And the second is, Thy kingdom come, by which we ask to come to the glory of his kingdom. And Aquinas also says later on that when we say, Hallowed be thy name, we do not mean that God's name is not already holy, but we ask that human beings may treat it as a holy thing. And this pertains to the diffusion of God's glory among all people. When we say, Thy kingdom come, we do not imply that God is not reigning now already, but we excite in ourselves the desire for that kingdom, that it may come to us, and that we may reign in it. So this is our end, our goal, God's glory and our sharing in His glory which is our beatitude, our state of blessedness or final happiness in heaven. And Aquinas explains that a thing is useful in two ways to help us toward that end, which is beatitude. In the one way, it is useful directly and principally, according to the merit in which we merit beatitude by obeying God. And in this respect, we ask, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because seeking God's will in everything is the most direct means to leading us to our destination. And then also, in another way, something may help us toward our end or goal instrumentally, as it were, helping us to merit. And in this respect, we say, Give us this day our daily bread. Whether we understand this bread as the sacramental bread, the Eucharist, which is useful to us each day, or, and in which also all other sacraments are contained, Aquinas says, or it could also refer to the simple bread of the body, which is the sufficiency of food. So we have the Eucharist as the chief sacrament, and Aquinas says bread as the chief food both of which are implied when we say, Give us this day our daily bread. We are also directed to beatitude, that blessed vision of God, in a way that's indirect, by the removal of obstacles. So if I am on a journey and there is a landslide so that the road or train tracks are absolutely covered, I cannot continue forward until the mud and rocks are removed and the way is clear again. Now, Aquinas says that there are three obstacles to our attainment of beatitude. First, there is sin, which directly excludes a person from the kingdom. And to this we refer when we say the words, Forgive us our trespasses. Second, there is temptation, which hinders us from keeping God's will. And to this we refer when we say, and lead us not into temptation. By which, St. Thomas says, we do not ask not to be tempted, but not to be conquered by temptation, which is to be led into temptation. So sometimes God does permit that we be tempted, as he did with Job in the Old Testament. But although the devil intends the temptation for our destruction in sin, God allows it only for our good so that we can grow in virtue and ultimately, by His grace, vanquish the devil by becoming holy, saints. We are called to be saints. Now, the third obstacle to, the, to our journey is what Aquinas calls this present penal state, that is, the state in which we are after the fall into original sin, which is a time of suffering, and death and trial as the effects of sin. This is a kind of obstacle in a way to sufficiency of life. We do not yet have life in its fullness now. And to this we refer it when we say the words, deliver us from evil. 
So in this we pray for the ultimate triumph over evil and death in our glorification in heaven and the resurrection of our own bodies to the fullness of life at the end of time, patterned on Christ's own resurrection. Now let us turn to that other interior act of religion, which is devotion. Aquinas teaches that devotion is the will to give oneself readily to things concerning the service of God. We have the English word devoted or devotee to give oneself completely to something or someone. St. Thomas points out that the theological virtue of charity, by which we love God supernaturally in friendship, both causes devotion, inasmuch as love makes one ready to serve one's friend, and also, in turn, feeds on devotion. In the same way, all friendship is safeguarded and increased by the practice and consideration of friendly deeds. So devotion safeguards and increases our charity, our supernatural love of God in friendship with Him. Just as our friendship with others requires that we also show some kind of love for them. And St. Thomas teaches that although the main extrinsic or exterior cause of devotion in us is God Himself, who calls whomever He wills, the intrinsic interior cause on our part of devotion is meditation or contemplation, which lead us to grow in devotion. He explains that devotion is an act of the will to the effect that one surrenders himself readily to the service of God. Now every act of the will proceeds from some consideration, since the object of the will is what he calls the good understood which it means that whenever we make a choice, we first recognize something to be good with our intellect, we understand that it is good for us, and then we choose it with our will, the good understood. Consequently, he says, meditation must be the cause of devotion, insofar as through meditation one conceives the thought of surrendering himself to God's service. So, meditation helps us intellectually grasp that God Himself is our ultimate good, so that we can then surrender ourselves to Him more completely with our will. And St. Thomas teaches that there are two primary considerations that lead us to God. One is the consideration of God's goodness and loving kindness. According to Psalm 73, it is good for me to adhere to my God, to put my hope in the Lord God. And this consideration awakens love, which is the proximate cause of devotion. So by considering God's goodness and love for me, I can grow in gratitude and so also in my love for Him. The other consideration for meditation is that of one's own shortcomings, on account of which he needs to lean on God. According to Psalm 121, I have lifted up my eyes to the mountains, from whence help shall come to me. My help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So this consideration of our own lowliness, our own weakness, helps us to grow in humility. That is, it helps us to rely more on God rather than on ourselves. And this consideration shuts out presumption, says St. Thomas, that presumption by which we are hindered from submitting to God because we lean on our own strength. So these are the two key considerations in prayer. First, to consider God's goodness and love in order to rouse myself to love Him more. Second, to consider my own weakness and failings so that rather than trust in myself, I trust in God. Therefore, when there is adversity and things are difficult, and I am tempted to become discouraged or despair, it is helpful at these times particularly to consider God's goodness and love, putting my hope and trust in Him. And at times of prosperity, when all is going well, as it is easy then for us to become proud, thinking we are doing it all on our own, and consequently to forget God, it is good then at these times 
to humbly recall our own weakness, failings, and even sins, not so that we become despondent, but in order to remind ourselves that as Christ says in the Gospels, apart from Him, we can do nothing, that is, nothing good without God's help. Aquinas teaches that humility involves this recognition of our complete dependence on God, so it is good for us to remember that it is God who gives us every good, and to be grateful for that and give Him glory. Another important cause of devotion is to meditate on or think about Christ's passion. Aquinas explains that in the consideration of Christ's passion, there is something that causes sorrow, namely the human defect of our own sin, the removal of which made it necessary for Christ to suffer. Christ suffered for my sin. But there is also something that causes joy, namely God's loving kindness to us in giving us such a deliverance. That is, as Christ tells us in the Gospels, no greater love is there than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends. And St. Paul declares, Yet while we were still enemies, that is, after original sin, Christ died for us. So, our journey to heaven begins here and now. St. Thomas writes, paraphrasing St. Paul, I long for you to be in the very heart, literally in the entrails, of Christ Jesus, in order that you may love him intimately and that you may be loved by him, for human life consists in this. Thank you. Tantum ergo sacramentum, Thank you, Sister Magdalene. I'd like to invite you now to join us with any reflections, any thoughts that have entered your heart while listening and taking part in tonight's program. Perhaps you have some questions. Oh, questions. Sister Magdalene answered a lot of my questions, but do you perhaps have anything or anything you'd like to share with us, the listeners, or Sister Magdalene? The number is... Zero one two two three three seven five five six four. If you're calling outside of the UK, it is zero zero four four one two two three three seven five five six four.
a question for you yes uh, what does how so when i'm praying I, I, I one i love so when we teach our confirmation students at saint lawrence how to pray we always use the our father as an example so it's been uh, now i know where it's been the inspiration has come from thomas aquinas and i will say that next time like, oh, listen to me <laughs> so if they, i'm so i'm so pleased that that's been I think we just followed along with the workbook, but it didn't tell us like, oh, but now we know, now we know the the format of prayer is all within the Lord's Prayer. But where does, what is Thomas Aquinas, where does the, the silence come within uh, your the relationship with God? Uh, where in the, there's a lot of talking, there's a the bring uh, the Holy Spirit into the beginnings of your prayer. But where, where do you fit in silence? I guess, Maybe you touched on it a bit with meditation, but I'm going to let you, you may, have, you may have also answered it, but if you could tell us again, where does silence fit in? Yeah, that's a very good question. He does talk about contemplation and, and he, he himself was a great contemplative, um, spending uh, a lot of time uh, before the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, in fact, he, he, um, he had generally two Masses a day, one that um, he himself would celebrate and then he would then serve the second Mass um, and uh, so he had a great devotion um, to the Blessed Sacrament, which is why, of course, we know that um, some of his own personal prayers, such as the Adoro Te Devote, um, actually, which is about concerning the Blessed Sacrament, uh, was what a prayer that he, what his own personal prayer that he would pray during the Mass. Um, so I think, yes, there are uh, many, I'm sure there are many moments of silence. I think... Um, Prayer, the meditation, it really, the point of it is to begin to help us focus on God's goodness, on our need for God, on the love of God. But then, um, and we do the same when we also meditate on scripture passages, but then we, we want to go, just, that's kind of like just to get us started, to get us focused um, away from distractions. But then we go deeper into that, and it becomes simply being with one that we love, right? Uh, as Aquinas says, charity. What is charity? It's actually friendship with God. And of course, there are times when friends, rather than speaking a lot, simply just want to be together. And so I, I think that Aquinas in his own life shows that it's simply wanting to be with God. Um, there are, um, uh, besides before the Blessed Sacrament, he often spent a lot of time simply before the crucifix as well, uh, simply gazing on Christ crucified uh, with great love. So so the whole point is, is to come to a deeper union of love with God. And um, meditation is meant to help us begin uh, focusing our minds on God, but then ultimately we want to just it can it, it can become uh, more and more just simplified with just being in His presence and um, letting Him love us and we love Him 
and allowing him to move us through his spirit and work through us um, in whatever way he wills. So really seeking him in that way. That's so beautiful. All right, this is really hitting home to me now. <laughs> so th- my son, one of them, is is six years, seven, seven years old. And I had some time alone with him today because the other one was at after school and the other one was at nursery. And so we were walking home together. And I, I, do, I think I have a fear of silence or something. So I go on and on and on. And on. And he fell and he hurt himself. And I was like, oh, no, 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 let me help you. Oh, oh." and I'm singing pain, pain, go away. And I'm like rubbing it. And he's like, mommy, just stop, just stop. Just, 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 I don't want, just, can you just be quiet and be here? And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. He just wanted to go. He wanted to work through it himself. And he just, and, and in that moment this afternoon, I had this lovely, that was like my favorite part of the day was just being with him in silence and, and you're right that there's that relationship, that love that you don't have to say anything back. And, and it's just beautiful. And oh, I'm going to work on that with uh, the Lord. I'm pretty sure it's there. But now that oh, yes. I've got it worked out in my head, thanks to you, I can oh, I'm going to work on it. And it's going to be oh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I think it before <laughs> I leave great. the studio tonight, I'll go spend some time in front of the Eucharist. And, and oh, 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 thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Yes, yes, our Lord is waiting for us. He's He's always there, of course. He's always there with us. It's it's us who, as St. Augustine says, are often outside while he is within. <laughs> we're the ones distracted by many other things. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true. Oh, oh listeners, oh, enough from me. Uh, listeners, we have time for just one call. If uh, Give us a call. Let us know if, if you got any questions or any reflections or has Sister Magdalene and Thomas Aquinas have they inspired you at all today? And if you don't call, we're just going to assume that she's answered all your questions and you're all ready to go. But the number is 01-223-375-564. Again, the number 01-223-375-564. I was trying to find one more... uh, we're going to have, we, we've had this one before, um, we have this one, we had this song. I've got to find another song for us. Let's go with, ah, let all the world in every corner sing, <laughs> which is, anyway, <laughs> here we go. Call, give us a call, give us a call. That is all the time we have for this credo this evening. Sister Magdalene Miller. Oh, I've said I it all Miller. Yes. Miller. It's all gone out <laughs> my mouth. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, could you say one final prayer with us for to close our program? Yes, um, this is a prayer, um, a part of a longer prayer attributed to St. Thomas Aquinas. And I think it's beautiful that we that we can think about this during the evening and um, is in Grant to me, O merciful God, that I may ardently desire, prudently seek, truly recognize, and perfectly accomplish whatever is pleasing to you, to the praise and glory of your name. Order my life, my God, 
and grant that I may know what you require of me to do, and to carry it out as I should, and as is expedient for my soul. Grant me, Lord my God, that I may not falter, whether in prosperity or adversity, that I may not be puffed up in the former, nor depressed in the latter. May I rejoice in nothing but what leads to you, nor sorrow in anything but what leads away from you. May I neither desire to please nor fear to displease anyone but you. Amen. Amen. God bless, sister. Thank you. God bless you too.